Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jared W., Paul M., and Jackie A. Walter Coles Jr. is on the show today. Walt is CEO and Director of Skeena Resources, a Canadian-focused project developer and explorer advancing the SK Creek Gold-Silver Project in Northwest British Columbia. The company is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol SKE and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol SKREF. Walt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Glad to uh, be on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming back. And uh, last time we talked, it was uranium and, of course, Virginia Energy Resources back in 2018. In fact, I think you were the uh, second or third guest on the show at that time. Finally agreed to come back on the show. So uh, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Well, how about the gold equities here? Broad natural resource sector. What's your thoughts on this stage of market and what is next? As far as commodities go, gold is is one of the best places to be. I, I consciously uh, decided to make the pivot from working on a uranium project to a gold, not a nickel or lithium or one of the other um, you know opportunities in the natural resource space because I felt that the the macro uh, case for gold was was going to strengthen and would uh, show itself in a much higher gold price, which you know, is, is probably the most important factor that drives the economics for any natural resource project is what's gonna be the, the, the price of the product that you're selling. And we've had a good run here in gold over the last, uh, you know, call it two years. And, and I, I think we've got a few more good years ahead of us. Uh, so it's a great time to be uh, working in the gold space, investing in the gold space, I'm pretty happy that it, it that it's it's playing out like I had expected. I think that uh, uranium will have its day. Um, you know, more and more people concerned about global warming, and I personally think nuclear power will be part of the answer, part of that solution. But it's going to be a few years, and and so I hope to circle back to our our uranium project in Virginia uh, at at the right time. But right now, it's it's all about gold, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we have some uh, great things going with gold, and I think multiple years ahead of us, I think we're still early stage on the uranium side. The fundamentals and things continue to get increasingly better, and COVID has only helped that. So I think uranium, worst case, we've still got a couple of years. We could start seeing some action once we get this election through and, and we get this COVID resolved possibly late 2021, we can start to see some action, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, let's get to uh, Skeena, Walt. Um, what brought you to the company? And give us the background on how that came about. What are they, what's the saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, basically, our, our uranium project in Virginia was held up on, on permitting and, and court cases and environmental groups uh, trying to set up obstacles every, every which way we turned. So I, I licked my wounds and I and I headed west to to British Columbia to work in an area that 
is renowned for uh, mineral deposits, uh, particularly precious metals and copper. And it's it's a place, Northwestern British Columbia is a place where if you find a, if you make a discovery, you can get your project permitted and built. And, and given what I have been through in Virginia, I, I wanted to make sure that I was gonna work in a place that would be supportive of natural resource projects. I should qualify that not all of British Columbia is, is supportive of, of natural resources. I mean, certainly there have been a lot of headlines about oil pipelines getting held up and and LNG projects uh, having difficulty. Uh, but the Golden Triangle, which is this area of Northwest BC, has uh, has a long history of mining, and and it is a place where the local communities are very supportive of mining. I mean, many of the jobs up there are from mining, so there's a political base of support, which make it a, a great place to to work in natural resources. Let's talk a little bit about capital structure at Skeena first before we get into SK Creek. Shares outstanding, cash on hand, and how much capital do you see that the company is is consuming on a quarterly basis at this point? Right now, there's 172 million shares outstanding, but on Friday, we will close a transaction with Barrick and Barrick will become a 12% shareholder of Skeena and that will take our shares outstanding up to 194 million shares out. And the transaction I'm referring to is our purchase of the SK mine from Barrick. So it's, it's an asset that we optioned a few years back and we've exercised the option, we're closing on that and we're not paying cash for it. Barrick is just becoming a shareholder in Skeena. In terms of cash on the balance sheet, we've got approximately 30 million right now, but we are in the middle of a very large uh, drill program. Uh, we are drilling at, at both our SK and SNP projects. Uh, we've got a drill budget of 90,000 meters. So the budget was, was 50 million. So we've spent a, a good bit of that already. Uh, but to give you an idea of how significant that program is, Last year in British Columbia, the total expenditures on mineral exploration totaled 194 million Canadian dollars. So this year we're spending 50. That just gives you an idea of how large our program is. It's It's got to be one of the largest in, in Canada, uh, maybe the largest in Western Canada. Um, so we're burning through money quickly, but we're funded through the balance of this year. And we'll probably do a financing before the end of the year to fill up the treasury to cover the cost of, of next year. And next year, the game plan is to take our SK project through pre-feasibility and feasibility uh, with the goal of having the feasibility study done towards the latter half of next year. And then we would be in a position for project financing. We've got a lot going on. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, lots of stuff going on in that front. And if you guys can advance and get the feasibility at the end of 2021, that sounds great as far as acceleration goes. On the uh, management and directors here, Walt, and the major shareholders, uh, you mentioned Barrick is coming in here shortly. Can you just cover where management director ownership stands and also the other major shareholders? Sure. Let me let me start with the, the major shareholders and I'll, I'll go to directors and management. So our, our largest shareholder is a family office out of Heidelberg, Germany. And they've got sort of three vehicles that they invest through. And if I, if I add all those together, uh, they're around 15%. Second biggest shareholder will be Barrick. Third biggest shareholder 
is a fund in New York called Luxor Capital. And then after that, we've got a, a bunch of U.S. mutual funds, Franklin Templeton, uh, ASA Merck, who else? Another fund in New York called Ingalls and Schneider. Um, I suspect that when we do our next financing, we will bring in even more of the bigger uh, funds. I mean, I'm, I, I've been pitching BlackRock and and Van Eck, Oppenheimer, and I hope I hope all those guys will come in and become shareholders in Skina with our our next uh, next capital raise. In terms of the board and management, through through options, we're we're probably around twelve uh, percent between options and and also um, current shareholdings that we have. There's a pretty strong incentive for us to to make this this company successful. You know, I'd add that the stock over the last 12 months is up around 500%. Everyone in the company is, they've seen their options go up in value such that they're pretty life-changing events already for almost everybody. Um, and our our hope is, is we can drive that stock a lot higher over the next, you know, one to two years. We certainly have the incentive to do so. Well, good on you for that, and certainly uh, the last uh, year or so, substantial move in the stock. Take us back for just a moment. Talk about, tell us the story behind Luxor Capital, bringing those folks in, and then also Doisky Valtan. Talk about those two and how you brought those two folks into uh, the register. <laughs> okay. Deutsche Valentine's kind of a funny story. It's run by a fellow named Thomas Zurs, a German, and he called me up I think about 18 months ago, just really almost just like a, you know, a cold call. And he told me that back in the early 1990s, he visited SK Creek. And I, if I haven't already mentioned it, SK is a, is a past producing mine. Uh, it was an underground mine that operated from 1994 until 2008. And when it was in operation, it was the highest grade gold silver mine operating in the world. Uh, to give you some sense of what the grades were, it produced 3.3 million ounces of gold at 45 grams per ton and 160 million ounces of silver at 22 grams per ton. So on a gold equivalent basis, it was about two and a half ounces per ton of gold, literally like off the charts. Like no one, like a typical underground gold mine might have a grade of, of I don't know, like six grams would be normal for today. And SK, when it was in production, was 75 grams gold equivalent. So incredibly profitable mine. Barrick shut the mine down in the first quarter of 2008 because it was the, you know, that was the middle of the, the global financial crisis. And they had, in essence, mined out all of the super high grade aspects of this mine. We approached Barrick in 2017. The mine had been closed for nine years. It was on care and maintenance. And it was kind of a headache for Barrick. You know, they have ongoing environmental monitoring requirements. They still had staff they had to pay. So I approached Barrick and said, you know, could we help you with this? Like, give us a chance to look at the look at the mine. If we can find something economic, we'll purchase it from you and we'll take over all the environmental liability. That was attractive to Barrick. And so we were able to sign an option deal with them. And I've had people say to me, if this is if this mine's so great. Like, why did Barrick give it to, to you guys? Why did Barrick give it to Little Skeena? And the answer is that in its last year of production, I think it would it produced like 170,000 ounces of gold equivalent. 
And it was just, it had just gotten to the point where it was too small in terms of the size of production and the grade was declining substantially for an underground mine. Our twist was to look at it as an open pit mine. And through looking at it from that lens, we were able to use a cutoff grade of one gram per ton. Barrick, when they were mining it, their minimum cutoff grade was 15 grams. So everything below 15 was waste for Barrick. And the way we looked at it as an open pit, everything above one gram was ore. So through that exercise, we were able to identify a resource, basically identify an inventory of gold and silver that's still there that equates to just over 4 million ounces gold equivalent at, a, at an open pit grade of just over 4 grams, 4.2 grams. So it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, it's really hard to find gold. And, and, and frankly, probably the easiest place to go find it is go back to old mines that shut down when the price of gold was you know, three, four, five hundred dollars an ounce. Today, price of gold's nine, $1,900 an ounce. So that gives you a lot of room to identify gold and silver that maybe wasn't economic, let's say in the 90s, that would be economic today. That's basically what, we, uh, what we've done with SK Creek. Now that we identified all that gold and silver there, we've exercised the option. We're purchasing SK from, from Barrick. Again, people go, well, why would Barrick let you exercise this, this option? Like, maybe they just come buy you out. Like, why, if it's so good, why are you, again, able to get this? And the answer is that Barrick is the second biggest gold company in the world. They've been quite public that their criteria for a Barrick mine is a minimum of 500,000 ounces a year and a minimum of 5 million ounces of reserves. At SK, through our PEA that we published last fall, we've identified a project that would produce 300,000 ounces a year, gold equivalent, and it's basically got reserves of 2.7 million ounces. So it's got about a nine-year mine life. And again, that's well below Barrick's uh, criteria. And, and that's the reason Barrick's content to take stock in Skeena rather than try to you know, take Skeena over or operate this mine. But I've been uh, you know, pretty transparent with Barrick and, and told them we, we're gonna do exploration now and, and we hope to be able to grow the size of this project and the grade such that it, it does reach what Barrick calls a tier one criteria. Uh, we hope to grow the production profile from 300,000 ounces to 500,000 ounces. Will we get there? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the drill bit is the, the uh, truth sayer. It will determine whether or not we can, we're successful in growing this project, but, I, but that's my target. My target is to, is to grow this project such that Barrick will want to come back in and buy, buy Skeena. By Barrick having an equity position in Skeena, they can sit back and, and watch. And if we're successful, then maybe it becomes too tempting for Barrick and they, they do want to buy us. And, and if we're not successful, let's say we get halfway there, um, Barrick will certainly make money on their investment in, in Skeena. So I think uh, it gives Barrick a, a seat at the table to watch and see how, how we do. And it gives us a, a goal to try to achieve over the next two years. So very long-winded answer, Andrew. And I, I think I didn't even get to your whole question. <laughs> Apologies. Maybe you can talk about Luxor and how you talk to them to come in, but just my comments, you know, I'm not yeah. terribly familiar with the project, but the technical merits of the project look good. If it does advance to this point to a potential development of the project, we've seen majors do stupid things in the markets, during bear markets, 
at the heights of bull markets, we've seen majors do stupid things, and they've paid for that over the last decade. And for you to come in and approach Barrick in 2017, you know, I can see why companies would look to, uh, you know, move some of these uh, assets that aren't considered tier one off of their balance sheets. And so we've seen moves that uh, make sense for them, where even a project like you said, Walt, if you guys don't come up with a tier one asset, a tier two asset at current gold prices and a production profile of 300,000 ounces a year of gold equivalent, you know, you're going to have a lot of people looking at that. And if everything goes well, I think the cash flows will be there. So, uh, but let's go back to Luxor Capital and you can fill in. Sure. And I didn't answer your question on Deutsche Valentine. So Thomas Zuris called me up 18 months ago and told me that back in the 90s, he visited SK when it was first discovered and he wanted to do a financing into that, that company, Prime Resources, but he couldn't, he and the CEO were a few pennies away from agreeing on the financing price. And, and he told me at the time, the stock was around 30 cents. And he said, since they couldn't agree on the financing price, he didn't invest. And then over the next two, three years, he saw the stock go from 30 cents to $78. And he never got any of that upside. So when he called me, he said, I've made the mistake once. I'm not going to make it again. What can we, what price can we do a financing into Skeena at? And you know, we were able to, to, to negotiate and agree on a price and he's participated in every single financing that we've done since and has become our largest shareholder and has benefited from our stock rising from, again, approximately 30, 30 cents up to, you know, where we are today, which is around two, $2 and, you know, 75 cents. He's been an incredibly supportive long-term shareholder. He agrees uh, with us that the stock has much, much further to go uh, from here. So uh, we feel incredibly lucky to have Deutsche Valentine as our uh, largest shareholder. Uh, Luxor is, a, is newer to the shareholder register. I, I met the uh, portfolio manager of Luxor uh, last fall. He came in on a financing that we did just after we announced our, our PEA. He came in very small, like a, you know, like a half a million dollars. And then uh, he bought out Hochschild's entire position in January, uh, which took him, uh, they owned like six, six percent, which took him up to, you know, called six and a half percent, I think at the time. And then in the financing we did in March and April, I just felt we should shore up our balance sheet. Who knew what was going to happen with COVID and financial markets? So we did a, uh, we did a, a pretty quick financing there, raised 33 million and Luxor came in for about half about a third of it, a little over a third. And, and that's taken them up to their uh, current shareholding position where they own 10.8% of, uh, of the company. Great, uh, great shareholders, again, very knowledgeable on gold, though let me add that Luxor is a generalist investor as is uh, Deutsche Valentine. I think they're both uh, groups who have a view that, you know, given the macro picture, gold's likely to, to grind higher over the next couple of years. And, and a growth company like Skeena, is a way to get a levered, uh, levered exposure to the rising price of gold. Yeah, and we've seen Luxor come in selectively into the natural resource sector. Um, I've certainly seen their name pop up in a couple areas, but they're not too frequent um, in the sector. So to get them and to get their capital, I think, is a good testament to, uh, to what you're working on there, Walt. Let's go to uh, key people at the company here, uh, anyone that you'd like to highlight. 
I guess I'd I'd highlight two of our newer newer people in the management team on the operating side. We got Shane Williams, who's our chief operating officer. Shane's an engineer. He's got a lot of experience building open pit mines in the far north. He did that for Rio Tinto, for uh, iron ore mines in Labrador, Newfoundland, and also northern Sweden. Uh, more recently, he was with El Dorado, and he was in charge of building the Lamac underground gold mine in Quebec, which he delivered uh, on time and under budget. So another nice uh, feather in his cap. When he finished building Lamac, he was looking to his next uh, project to build, and and we were able to recruit him over to Skina to lead lead the operating team on SK. Uh, also, I'd mention that on the board side, uh, Greg Beard's a new addition. Greg recently retired from Apollo Global Management, which is a $300 billion private equity fund in New York, where he was in charge of all natural resource investments for the last decade. And the reason I wanted to get Greg on, on our board as he has so much experience with New York Stock Exchange uh, listed companies. And our hope with Skina is that if we can get the market cap up to 750 million US, which I think we can, then we would be uh, able to list on the New York Stock Exchange as a Canadian company. So that's a, that's a goal that we hope to apply to the New York Stock Exchange and be listed there in the next uh, year or so. I think that's a smart move. We've seen that with with companies that can get in the 500 to 750 or a billion market cap. That's a good choice. That's a good place to go. You know, people talk about LSE and talk about you know other listings, but I think the New York Amex listing is uh, still the uh, cream of the crop when it comes to you know exposure and best market. So so good on you for planning on that. Now let's talk about the uh, expiration and infill program that you have uh, phase one here. What is the expectation coming out of this, and do you expect that converting the existing M&I resource uh, over into the proven and profitable category, what's your expectations with that conversion and how you see this infill program coming out? Yeah, I would say I, I usually think of infill programs as being kind of boring. You know, the things that you got to do to move your inferred resource into the indicated and measured categories so that when you complete your pre-fees, they will convert into proven and probable reserves. As a reminder for your audience, uh, when you do a pre-fees, you can't use anything in the inferred category. You just lose it because it doesn't have uh, close enough drill spacing to give you the confidence. And so the engineering firms won't, won't allow you to use inferred. So that's the reason you do the infill is to tighten up the drill spacing so that your resource will uh, convert into reserves with the pre-fees. In our case, I don't think the infill is boring. I think it's it's actually pretty exciting. And the reason is that if you were to go look at our, our resource and our presentation, it's, it's kind of evenly divided between the indicated and inferred on a tonnage weighted basis. There's about 14 million tons in each category. But if you look closely at the grade, you'll see that the grade of the indicated is double what the grade is on the inferred. So the indicated grade is 5.9 grams and the grade on the inferred is three grams. That's partly due to drill spacing. The indicated has already been drilled off at 10 to 15 meter spaces. That means there's 10 to 15 meters between each hole. On the inferred, the spacing is substantially bigger. It's 50 to 70 meters between holes. And our resource geologist has explained to me that the further you get from a hole, there is a penalty to the grade just due to uncertainty. 
Now, this is a VMS deposit. So basically, it's a deposit that was created and laid down on the ocean floor a long, long time ago. And now that ocean floor is up, up in, a, in a mountain range. Uh, but it has this consistency of being a sort of horizontal layer that once was the ocean floor. So it's very predictable. Like when you get in it, in this layer, it's just when you drill into it, it has a very high degree of predictability. And from a mining perspective, it's nice and continuous. This is not a nuggety, pinch or swell, high-grade vein deposit uh, like some of the other controversial projects around us where you think you're going to get grade, and then when they go in and mine it, the grade ends up being half of what they had, they had hoped for. That's not, that's not what you get at, at SK Creek. It's very continuous and predictable. So that's important when we come back to the infill, when we start to drill within those inferred historic drill holes that are 50 to 70 meters apart, we're seeing the grade improve as we do that. So you can go back and look at our last couple press releases and you'll see a hole that would be, let's say 11 grams gold equivalent over 39 meters. And you look at the hole on either side of it and they're both five grams. So we're actually stumbling into pods that are higher, higher than average grade. Uh, we had another hole that we drilled. It was about 25 grams gold equivalent over 30 meters. And again, that was right next to a hole that was seven grams. So we're seeing not only the positives of there always being gold in between these holes, and in some cases it's, you know, call it three or four grams, but in other cases it's much, much higher. So we're averaging out towards that five to six gram range, which leads us to our goal from this infill is we hope to raise our, our the size of our deposit from 4 million to 5 million ounces and take the grade from 4.2 grams to over five grams. Keep in mind the additional you know, gram of grade, if we, if we achieve that, there's no extra operating cost on that. Like when you're mining material, if instead of mining four gram material, you're mining five gram material, that extra gram drops basically to the bottom line in profit. So it has an outsized impact on the overall project economics when we go from a PEA to a pre-fees if we're able to increase the grade by gram. It's, it's good stuff, and it sounds like it's going to work out pretty well, and your guys', uh, I think, target expectations uh, likely be met without any issue. Talk about, just for a moment, the, the feasibility study that's expected by the end of 2021, Walt. If you guys stay on that path to keep that going, when would you expect a construction decision being made? Would that be sometime in early 2022, or what's the status on that? I find it kind of comical the way you know everyone in this industry says a construction decision. Look, you can you can pull up our PEA and you can see what the IRR numbers are and the NPV and go the construction decision's already been made. Like if you use $1,700 gold and apply that to the project that we defined in the PEA, the after-tax IRR is 77%. The after-tax NPV is 1.2 billion, and and keep in mind that's on a capex of 300 million Canadian. And, and when I said the after-tax NPV, I'm referring to that in Canadian dollars. So, you know, general rule of thumb is a mine is a, is a good mine if your IRR, after-tax IRR is above 30%, if your payback period is better than three years on your initial CapEx, and your, your capital efficiency ratio, meaning in this case, 
your CapEx divided into your after-tax NPV, if it's better than 1.5 and you check those other two boxes, payback, time period, and IRR, then your mine will be built. So if we apply that to SK Creek, you can take your pick, $1,200 gold, it, it meets that criteria. Or if you use $1,700 gold or $1,900 gold, you know, basically spot today, it checks all three of those boxes in every, in every which way. So, you know, a project that will pay back the entire CapEx in less than one year, that has an IRR, an after-tax IRR that's north of 75%, these aren't numbers that people are used to seeing in the mining industry. So SK is one of the best, most profitable projects in the world. And the other amazing thing about it is it's not a small project. It will produce over 300,000 ounces of gold a year. I think, I think I, didn't, I had a research analyst tell me there are less, there are six companies in the world that have a single asset that would produce over 300,000 ounces a year that haven't already been taken over by major mining companies. So we're in that rarefied little uh, little group, and and I'd add that this is not a project in Malawi or Indonesia or you know some other country that you, you know has a coup d'état every every five years. This is a project in a politically stable jurisdiction of Canada, which makes it even rarer and likely to be even more sought after in the in the years ahead. Definitely good to know to watch, you know, you guys have some pretty comfortable downside protection on the gold price. And of course, uh, if you stay where the price is today, it's quite a cash gusher if everything goes well. And then of course, uh, the upside in gold price uh, just makes it look orders of magnitude even better. So with the feasibility study being expected by the end of 2021, let's move over for a moment and just talk about your guys' remaining provincial and federal permitting that uh, is needed to finish up the permitting because this is an existing site already. You already have some permits in place, but can you just cover what you guys need to do on the permitting front to get everything ready? As you mentioned, it's a brownfield site. So that is a huge advantage. It's already been disturbed. There's already a tailings facility there that's fully permitted with ample capacity for us to put the tailings in from the project that we envision. That's usually the most difficult part of permitting a project is permitting the tailings storage facility. So that box is already checked. Uh, we've also got roads into the site that have already been built. So we don't have to permit any roads to get in and out. And that's, that's a huge advantage for us from an exploration standpoint and, and construction standpoint. Uh, we already have a camp that's in existence there. We're gonna use that camp as the construction camp to build the new camp. Unfortunately, the, uh, the pit that we're gonna create will, will encroach into the existing camp. So the existing camp will get removed. I think it's in the, the second year of the mine life, we'll have to get rid of the existing camp. Uh, but usually when you're going into a project like that, you have to, you gotta finance and build an entire camp to use to build your, your permanent camp. And in this case, we probably save 30 million bucks because that camp is already already in existence. Back to the permitting though, this is a site that's been monitored for the last, well, since it shut down and, and of course, while it was in operation. So basically it's been monitored for the last 30 years. Uh, in some cases on a, on a daily, weekly basis, uh, water quality has been checked. So we have all the data to prove that, that 
the, the previous mining operation didn't have any negative impacts on the environment. We understand the movement of water through the project area, so we understand where uh, we need to capture water, where we need to treat it. Uh, we've built an incredibly, uh, I think, positive relationship with the local First Nations, the Taltan. Um, uh, we've traveled the world with their senior leadership to promote uh, investments in mining in the British, uh, in British Columbia, specifically the Golden Triangle. And the reason I mention that is because the province is is very supportive of projects that have that already have First Nation support. And so I think, given the time of COVID, you know the the budget deficits that our governments are running and and British Columbia is no different. There is an urgency on the part of the government to get projects that have First Nation support into production as quickly as possible, uh, because. The project we defined in the in the PA will generate $972 million of tax payments over a nine-year mine life, of which the province will get two-thirds. So I think there's a lot of political pressure to help get us through the permitting process quickly. We have the benefit of it being a brownfield site, so we have the evidence to support that this is a project that's not going to have any negative impact on the environment. And so I think those combination of factors will help us. Uh, get through the permitting process, which we're kicking off in in the fourth quarter of this year, and hopefully we're through it in in 24 months. And what do you see there as kind of the biggest challenge, Walt, as far as you know over that two-year period? What do you see as the main key permit that potentially has the most challenge? I don't see any one permit as being particularly challenging. I I see the the challenges are uh, making sure all the different government agencies are coordinating. And so we don't get all the permits except for you know one you know one permit let's say it's the we need a permit to extend the the power line from volcano creek hydroelectric facility up to site and i think it's about 17 kilometers so if we don't get i'm just using this in a, as an example if we don't get the power line up there you know we can't uh we can't put the mill in operation there's a cascade effect that would come of that. So that's one example of how everything has to be coordinated uh, to get this project up and running uh, within the time frame that we're looking, which is to have it in production by 2024. Uh, so no one particular thing, but just a lot of moving parts. And it's the coordination of those, those activities that's going to be critical. Let's talk about financing for just a moment, and then we'll get back to construction time and first production. But the financing package for the project, Walt, what blend of financing are you looking to do? It's about $233 million U.S. What's your thoughts on how you guys are going to come about financing that? Yeah, again, we're just so fortunate to have a project that that pays back its initial capital in less than a year. So there's a long line of people who are eager to provide the capital for a project like this. Uh, we'll look for a mix, probably of debt and equity, and I'll and I'll say that we'll we'll lean toward the conservative side, so more equity than debt. Um, probably, you know, probably around 50% equity, 50% debt, and we'll also consider uh, streams and royalties. We'll we'll look at them. Um, you know, I think that that space has become so competitive that it may be the cheapest form of capital available to us. So it could be that we do uh, less debt or 
some combination of debt and and a and a finite stream, not an open-ended stream, but you know maybe it's like a silver stream for the first you know five years and it's done. I don't want to do open-ended uh, you know things that where a streaming company puts up capital and and it appears to be really cheap, like like three four percent capital, but then if later in the mine life you double the the mine size, the streamer ends up uh, that that cost of capital ends up being closer to like twenty percent. So I want to avoid that hit to our shareholders if if I can, uh, but we'll we'll look at everything. We'll have a competitive process, and and that's usually how you get the best outcome. Yeah, understood. And certainly there is a lot of growing competition in the royalty space. We're seeing a lot of companies pop into the sector that was either private or is brand new. So there's a lot of competition on that side of things. What do you think on the debt side? Given, I mean, you know, it is pretty low capex. Let's let's be honest. What do you think on cost of capital on the debt side? Do you think you might be somewhere around the five, six percent area? What's your thoughts on that? I don't really know where the market is right now, but I think I think it's probably higher. I, my guess is it's probably like seven percent, seven or eight. But the best way to find out is when you you uh, you tell the debt providers uh, we're going to have an auction, and you know we we'd like a proposal from you, and then you you sift through all the proposals and figure out which one is the the best terms for the company, and I, I suspect every single, you know, major debt provider in the mining space will be eager to provide a a bid on this project. And with the financing package, Walt, how do you see that sliding in with the permitting process? Um, you know, if you guys have the the feasibility study out in 2021, do you see that the financing package gets done in 2022, or how does that kind of slot in with the the permitting? No, we're actually looking to to do the the financing right after the the feasibility study, so late next year. Uh, but we may have we we may stage it. I could see that being a likely outcome. We stage it such that as we get the permits for various aspects of the mine and we can build them, or where we already have permits in place, uh, and we have a need for capital right away, we would. We would align the financing to meet those state those milestones. So it could be a financing package where the debt component comes in stages. So as we get a, a particular permit, then the funds are released to build a particular aspect of the of the mine. And that's part of our our strategy. Uh, we're looking at a two-year construction period from that cover basically 2022 and 2023. And our idea is this is a staged build out. Like typically you could see a mine like this built faster. Our idea is, is space it out and build it, you know, as we as we have the permits or or receive the permits, we'll build various stages of the of the mine. You mentioned expiration work there at SK. Can you just kind of talk about the uh, the potential upside for expansion? I know that one of the goals you guys want to do is definitely get that mine life up. You're already doing some of that. Do you see that exploration work will be continuing year after year here, even through construction? Walt, how do you see the exploration sliding into that? And what do you see on potential upside expansion? I see three things that ahead that are relatively straightforward and likely to bear fruit. The first is the improvement in grade with the infill drilling. So I, I fully expect our exploration team to succeed and raising that grade from four to five grams. And theoretically, that extra, that 25% boost in 
and grade would add 25% to the production profile. So that I see that taking us from 300 to 375,000 ounces. Then over at SNP, we're we're exploring there. We've got a we've got a drill rig arriving in two weeks to start drilling, and we're hopeful that we can expand the resource at SNP, which is currently 650,000 ounces at, at 13 and a half grams. I hope we can grow that to a million ounces, and and theoretically, we could mine over at SNP and truck the ore. It's about 45 kilometers to a central processing mill at, at SK. So maybe there's a possibility to add like 50,000 ounces a year from SNP. Uh, we need to do more exploration and we'll target to do hopefully a PEA in the first half of next year on SNP. And so that's a way to grow the production profile again. You know, maybe, maybe that gets us from 375 to 425. We're also drilling into the deeper sections under underneath the pit at SK right now. And we're hitting some good, some good grade. It's early days, but I hope that we can identify enough of a resource to have a stage two underground component, or maybe it's a parallel with the open pit. We're mining at the open pit at the same time mining down below it. Uh, so that's a way to further in, enhance the production profile, or it could be to extend the mine life. I don't, we'll just have to see which way, which way that uh, that ends up impacting the project. Uh, but certainly, I believe there will be enough of a resource to justify an underground mine at SK, and and maybe we can get a PEA out on that in the latter part of next year. Um, so those are all, I, I think, kind of low-hanging fruit opportunities. The, possibly the more interesting but higher risk opportunity is just further exploration in and around the property. So right now we're drilling on an area that's two kilometers south of the SK pit. It's an area called the, the Tom McKay zone. And that it, there's an adit there from the 1930s uh, it's called the Tom McKay Adit, named after Tom McKay, who was the original prospector who, who put this property on the map. He was mining a very high grade, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a seam. I don't really know what it was, but I, I'm told they were mining basically visible, visible gold. So we're putting a bunch of holes all around that. And our hope is that we can identify another open pitable section, you know, down there. So that's one example of, of an area on the property that uh, may may allow us to again either extend the mine life or increase the production profile, and we probably have ten other targets that are just like that around the property that we'll drill out over the next ten months, and any one of them could be a huge surprise, a positive surprise for the company. Pretty interesting setup with the SNP part of it being 45 kilometers away um, from SK, the road out to SNP, Walt, that's already in place. So it would just be a fairly simple setup to incorporate. Is that right? No, it's not. We're, there's a 17 kilometer gap to build the road from SK out to SNP. And it's down a flat river valley, sort of a flat bottom where we'd build that road, thankfully. And and that means the cost of building that road is is much more manageable. It's it's in the order of about 10 million Canadian to connect that road. Uh, thankfully, the permits are all in to allow that road to proceed with construction. 
But before we would build the road, I just want to make sure that SNP is, is going to be economic and, and we need to do the PEA on that first. Right. Yeah. And that's something certainly that could happen later down the road after uh, you already have potential cash flows coming in from SK. Let's talk about you know, kind of the end strategy for Skeena Walt. Do you see taking this deposit all the way into production or do you see that there will be a suitor coming along prior to that? What's uh, the desired outcome for the company? So there's nothing that I would love more than to build this, uh, build this asset. Uh, we've got the team uh, coming together underneath Shane to be able to do that. For instance, uh, Shane hired a, a fellow named uh, Bill McKinsey, and, and Bill was in charge of building the original SK mine back in the 1990s. So he's got a whole collection of guys underneath him. Uh, who are very experienced. So I, I I see us as being fully capable of of building the you know SK version two. You know, having said that, if someone is is going to make us an offer that we can't that our shareholders can't refuse, we we would you know love to see those proposals. Uh, there are certainly companies asking to look in our data room. Um, the only thing I would say is this this project because it's so rare, it's not going to go cheap. Like if someone thinks they're going to you know, step in right now and, and buy this project for 30% premium, I can assure them that uh, our major shareholders don't think that the current stock price reflects the, the value of what we are going to uncover over the next 12 months at this project. So, uh, you know, either way, whether we build it or whether we sell it, as long as we generate a very attractive return for our shareholders, that's that's the goal of our uh, of Skeena's board and, and Skeena's management team. Well, Walt shares have ran up pretty strong over the last year. Why should potential investors be considering Skeena at these current price levels? And what would you say to potential investors who are listening? Yeah, I would tell investors you want to have you want to have exposure to gold. Gold is just kind of it's like a hedge that you need to have, especially in a world where so many bonds. Uh, so much of fixed income has a negative real rate of return. And, and if you are leaving your money in cash, cash is being debased. Like fiat currencies are, are, are being debased as governments monetize their debts. There's really only two places to be. It's equities and I think equities and, and gold. The, the threat on equities is that if inflation uh, does start to rise in the years ahead, that would likely have an impact on the discount rates for for you know long duration assets like equities and and could cause uh, PE multiples to contract where gold in an inflation environment we already you know everybody already knows gold gold generally performs very well Skeena though will give you a levered exposure to gold so you know if you really wanted insurance in your portfolio you kind of need to own like 50% gold and 50% equities but if instead you own gold equities that gives you a levered uh, insurance product. So if you own, you know, instead of needing to own 50% gold, you can own, you know, call it like 10 or 12% gold equities, and they can give you that in, insurance product over the long term. And, and Skeena being a growth company, um, as we move this project from PEA to pre-fees to feasibility towards production, our price to nav ratio, which is currently around 0.4, should go towards one times NAV, net asset value, or it's basically the same thing as NPV. So right now at 
$1,700 gold, our after-tax NPV is 1.2 billion Canadian, and our market cap is like 460 million Canadian. So as we move closer to production, you should see our market cap go from 460 to one point towards 1.2 billion. And then I'd add on top of that, that as we increase the grade of our project, like as we move that open pit grade from four to five grams, that project NPV is going to go up. And then as we increase the overall size of the project, as we find more ounces, the project NPV will go up. And so what that means is, is I see a future where we can hopefully move this stock up multiples from where it is today as we achieve the dual goals of, of moving the project towards production, getting it into production, and of course, making it bigger. So it's a, it's a, it's a levered investment to gold with a growth profile to it. Certainly good points and a compelling uh, setup you've got. Well, Walt, uh, best way for investors to reach out to the company for more information? Your investors could email me directly. It's my email address is wcoles at skinaresources.com, or you can just call our, our office uh, line. Uh, my uh, investor relations staff is, is always there to answer any questions. You can talk to Kelly Earl or Katie McKinsey. Uh, the office number is 604-684-8725. Walt, it was uh, good to chat. Really appreciate you coming back. Keep up the efforts at Skeena, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Andrew.